0: Welcome to Daring Dialogues. I am your host today, Shantae Charles, and I hope that you are having a great and wonderful day. If you happen to hear a little bit of sound outside of the broadcast, it may be because <laughs> um life is going on around me and there is some lawn care happening, but I'm hoping that it won't uh distract too much from the broadcast this morning. They seem to always come right at the time when I need to do a recording. Isn't that inconvenient? (laughs) So today we are on Relationship Wednesday and we are looking at the book What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing. Before we get into that though, I do want to just share very briefly um, about an interaction I just had a couple of minutes ago and I said... Should I hold this interaction till Theology Thursday and then we kind of really kind of dig into the theology part of it? Or should I talk about it now? Because it's really, to me, more about um, human understanding and our human interactions with each other. So there is a conversation going around, right, about Kirk Franklin. Put some hearts on the screen or type in, yes, I've heard about this conversation, um, with his song or his rap that he came out with. I don't know if it's off of a new song. I think it might've been a BET performance. I am not sure the full context of it. Right. So I did see the snip of what he was saying. I am not a Kirk Stan, as they say, I am not a a person who is obsessed with Kirk Franklin or his songs or his you know, any of that, right? So (laughs) I like to think that a lot of these topics I sort of come at in a very objective way because I'm not obsessed with that person. Um, And my life and my uh, philosophy for life and my theology um, and belief is not built around someone's song lyrics. Okay, that's number one. (laughs) So I saw a fellow, uh, gospel leader come out with a very detailed post about how they felt about the lyrics and, you know, how they felt about, you know, what could have been, uh, misconstrued and all of that. And I totally understand all the points that they were making, right. But I simply stated to them, um, Kirk Franklin actually did come out and make a statement on his Twitter feed, which I guess is where a lot of people follow him. Because I was I was wondering too, I was like, are people hearing this wrong? Some people were saying that they, people were mishearing what he was saying. But no, he actually clarified that, no, I said what I said in the lyrics. But he clarified that when he said, Bow down to the goat, which is what was said, that he was referring to greatest of all time in reference to Jesus. That's what he said. That's what he came out and clarified. I can't read his mind. I can't read his heart. I can't insinuate, oh, he's just trying to trick us. No. (laughs) On his own page, he stated and clarified what it was he meant. So I let this person know because they were kind of, you know, they had a very detailed lecture going about, you know, the dangers of lyricism and all these other pieces. I said, well, he came out and clarified what he said. And then that person responded by saying, well, it was hyperbole and idiocy. My thing is, if someone comes out and clarifies what they say, and you don't want to accept their clarification, at that point, it is no longer about the lyrics. It is no longer about the the song. You are at that point purposefully, intentionally misunderstanding what that person is saying and what that person is trying to get across. Once someone clarifies to you what they meant or what their intentions are, If you continue in the same vein as if you don't know what they meant or as if this person is trying to trick people, at that point, it's no longer about what they said. It's not. Um, We can argue the point of could he have said it differently? Certainly. Certainly. We can argue the point of literary devices. And did he use the literary devices there correctly? Was his nuance um, had room for... Did his nuance have room for improvement? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Most people say, well, Jesus is referred to as the lion and the lamb. Yes, but people also refer to themselves as a lion. And Jesus also... Um, referred to us as being led as sheep to the slaughter. So to just say that lion and the lamb is only characterized by Jesus in scripture is also not actually correct. Okay, so taking those things into account, I said, you know, he did come out and clarify And some people said, well, he was just being flippant and, you know, he wasn't concerned. I'm like, listen, obviously he was concerned that people misunderstood him. That is the reason why he actually posted a statement and clarified. (laughs) So one thing that I'm one thing that I'm learning in this and continue to learn in this churchified realm of believers Is that people do not want to understand nuance. They don't want to understand nuance. A lot of people. I won't say all. A lot of people don't want to understand nuance. They don't want to understand literary devices. And if a person has made up their mind about you. If a person already dislikes what you do in the world of music. And especially gospel music and lyricism. If they already have... Um, objections to you taking the gospel too far, it's going to be very hard to get those people to actually see you as sincere or see you as actually trying to explain your music and your artistry. I also want us to Not treat artists as if they cannot use nuance in literary devices and poetic devices in their songs. That everything must be spelled out for you in order for you to like and appreciate the song. Because that actually takes away from what makes it artistry. (laughs) I mean... You know, if you want us to go back to nursery rhymes, one, two, buckle my shoe, three, four, shut the door, five, six, pick up sticks, seven, eight, lay them straight, nine, ten, do it again. We could do that. But it would take away um, the creativity that artists are trying to participate in. And to say that Christian artists can't do that, but everyone else can, is a little... Weird to me, I mean, I don't know, maybe you have another take on that, but that's a little weird to me that we get all excited and hyped by, some people get excited and hyped in the Christian world, mind you, by Beyonce using all kinds of nuances and poetic devices and symbolism, even in her riding on a horse and all this other stuff. Y'all are going all into the details of the symbolism there. But you're saying Christians can't have that kind of nuance and use literary devices and be creative in what they're writing because you don't understand. So help me out with that. If I'm if you're if I'm wrong and you're saying, hey, Shantae, I think that Christians just need to stick with their ABCs and their one, two, threes and just keep it simple, then I'm, I'm not going to argue with you, but if, if you think that that's what should happen, let me know in the comments. OK, um, if you're listening by anchor, you can actually give me an audio recording and I can actually play it back to listen to your response. So I said all that to say <laughs> that in relationship with what's happening in, in Christendom, you have people who are so um I I, I want to call them legalism hunters. You have people that are so on edge trying to find something wrong with someone else's life. And they don't really pay attention to the fact that they are they are rolling themselves right over into a legalistic spirit. All right. If someone is clarifying to you what it is they meant or intended, you can either take it or you can leave it. It's really that simple. All right. Let's hop into What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing by Dr. Bruce D. Perry and Oprah Winfrey. We are still talking about um, the spectrum of trauma. And we are going to be looking at... I believe we stopped at PTSD. So we're going to pick up there. Oprah at Oprah states this. So many of us learned about PTSD in context of combat veterans like Mr. Roseman in chapter one, but I know trauma at any age can cause PTSD. Correct? Yes. Yes. Trauma at any age can cause a cluster of symptoms we call post-traumatic stress disorder. And this boy did have PTSD. If you remember those three components of trauma, the three E's, the event, the experience, and the effects. PTSD is about the effects. It's a specific syndrome or collection of symptoms that can occur in the wake of a traumatic event or events. And it's one of the mental disorders in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the guide most clinicians use to classify mental health problems. A person diagnosed with PTSD has four main symptom clusters following a traumatic event or events. As you mentioned, Mike Roseman, the Korean war veteran who was triggered by the motorcycle backfiring had PTSD. The first cluster is intrusive symptoms. These include recurring, unwanted images and thoughts of the traumatic event and dreams or nightmares about it. One way to think about these symptoms is that they're related to the brain's efforts to make sense of the world. Often when a traumatic event takes place, it is so threatening and so far outside our usual experience that it doesn't fit our working model of the world. If you recall our earlier conversations, our mind is always working to preserve the worldview that was created early in our lives. People are good. Parents are here to protect us. Schools are safe. The mind wants to see what we believe, so it clings to things that support those beliefs or that worldview and ignores things that don't. Both trauma shatters this and inner landscape. Your worldviews are broken to pieces when trauma happens. People can't be trusted. I'm terrified of a family member or they hurt me. School is where my friends are being shot. Trauma leaves you shipwrecked. You are left to rebuild your inner world. Part of the rebuilding, the healing process, is revisiting the shattered hull of your old worldview. You sift through the wreckage looking for what remains, seeking your broken pieces. Dreams, intrusive images of the trauma, and reenactment play are your mind struggling to make sense of your new reality. As you revisit the shipwreck piece by piece, you find a fragment and move it to your new, safer place in the now-altered landscape. You build a new worldview that takes time and many visits to the wreckage. And this process involves both unconscious and conscious repetitive reenactment behaviors or writing, drawing, sculpting, or playing. Again and again, you revisit the site of the earthquake, look through the wreckage, take something and move it to a safe haven. That's part of the healing process. I'm simplifying very complex processes, which we'll talk about more when we focus on healing. The second cluster is avoidance symptoms. We believe that these symptoms arise when someone feels distressed after being re-exposed to people, places, or other reminders of the original traumatic events. Remember Mr. Roseman saying he hated the 4th of July because he was consciously aware that fireworks were evocative cues. He avoided celebrations that involved them. In some ways, avoidant behaviors are an attempt to regain control over what feels like the uncontrollability Of the traumatic experience. You may also recall that avoidance is part of a dissociative response to a threat. When someone is in an unavoidable distressing situation, avoidant behaviors can be protective. A person can also develop avoidant behaviors without making the direct connection to a traumatic cue from the past. This is often true when the abuse or trauma took place within the context of early caregiving relationships. If a child was abused in the context of an intimate relationship, by a parent, for example, they will find intimacy, emotional and physical closeness, threatening. They will often long to be connected, but find themselves anxious, confused, or overwhelmed when they get close to someone. They will avoid intimacy in a relationship. If intimacy can't be avoided, they will sabotage or undermine the relationship. This is one of the most common but least appreciated effects of developmental trauma. So when you have PTSD, you become triggered in the moment because the memory from the trauma is activated. And people's response to that varies because the PTSD reaction is in direct proportion to how traumatic the event affected you in the first place. Remember our earlier discussion of making associations? The traumatic experience creates a set of trauma-related memories. These become connected to the type of stress response that played out in the specific traumatic event. You'll recall that Jesse, the boy in the comma, had two very distinct responses to different evocative cues. For Mike Roseman, the evocative cue of the motorcycle backfiring activated his arousal response. Because the arousal response is what was activated when he was in combat, The sound of gunfire or a motorcycle backfiring led to increased heart rate, the instinct to duck and cover, etc. But in another patient, a sound like gunfire might elicit an entirely different response. I once had a patient, Bisa, a young refugee woman from Somalia who had lived through brutal tribal warfare. She had watched helpless while her younger brother was forced to shoot her parents. Much more trauma followed before she made it to Canada for Bisa, as it had for Mike Roseman, gunfire became an evocative cue. But whereas it provoked an arousal response in Mike, in Bisa, it prompted a dissociative shutdown. Her trauma had comprised moments of inescapable, unbearable pain. Her response was to escape her, inside herself. Her heart rate decreased. In the extreme, she fainted. Later, when she'd hear a loud, unexpected noise, The association with gunfire would make her collapse. She'd actually lose consciousness. A colleague of mine, a photojournalist, was present at one of the first refugee camps created to house victims of the Rwandan Civil War. There were people milling around like zombies, expressionless and silent. Just as my colleague was asking why some of them were wearing helmets, gunfire came from the jungle around the camp, and several of the people fainted on the spot. They wore helmets so their heads wouldn't be injured when they fell. So that was from what you describe as an overactive and overly overly reactive dissociative response, right? Absolutely. Which brings us back to our list of PTSD symptoms. We've discussed the first two symptom clusters, intrusive symptoms and avoidant symptoms. And now we get to the third, changes in mood and thinking. This can include depre- depressive symptoms like sadness, loss of pleasure from anything, a sense of guilt, an overfocus on negative things, and basically a feeling of emotional and physical exhaustion. Finally, the fourth symptom cluster is an alteration in arousal and reactivity. These are symptoms related to the sensitized stress response networks being overactive and overly reactive. They include anxiety, hypervigilance, increased startle response, high and variable heart rate, and sleep problems. When someone has symptoms in each of these four categories, the DSM label is PTSD. It is really important to remember, however, that PTSD is not the only way that trauma impacts our mental and physical health. The adverse effects of trauma that we discussed at the beginning can have just as significant an impact on someone's life. In fact, the majority of long-term effects of trauma do not manifest as PTSD. As you're talking, here's what I keep thinking. Depression, anxiety, PTSD, these seem to be the big three when it comes to long-term mental and emotional effects of trauma. So if we know that there are 50 million children who have experienced trauma, that means there are countless millions of adults carrying that hurt through their lives, their jobs, their relationships, and then passing it on to their children. And those adults may not even realize what happened to them. Not only do they not realize what happened, but their parents, their partners, doctors, and work colleagues don't either. And that leads to so much misunderstanding. And sometimes these misunderstandings have tragic consequences. We've talked a lot about how the actions of caregivers influence the child, but it's important to remember that those caregivers were also children influenced by their caregivers. The effects of trauma stretch far and wide across generations and across communities. And it's important to always come back to our central question with compassion. What happened to you? Now, uh, next Wednesday, We're going to look at connecting the dots. How do we begin to connect the dots? And um, how do we begin to look at healing? We'll be talking about things like genetics, epigenetics, uh, perinatal experience, postnatal experience. How are these things all connected? All right. So. If you would like to comment on what we have read today. We've talked about PTSD. We've talked about um, the three kinds of, the three types of things that happen in clusters, which is intrusive symptoms. This is when people experience recurring unwanted images and thoughts of a traumatic event. We talked about avoidance symptoms, uh, where people feel distressed after being re-exposed to people, places, or other reminders of the original traumatic experience, we have talked about. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The third cluster, having to do with um, not just the symptoms of intrusion or avoidance, but changes in your mood and thinking. And then the fourth cluster is an alteration in your reactivity. This includes anxiety, developing anxiety, becoming hypervigilant, everything around you is a threat, um, having a high and variable heart rate, and enduring sleep problems as a result of these things. But as the doctor said, all four of these really have to be in place. You have to be experiencing something from all four sections in order for it to be classified officially as PTSD. All right. All right. So if you would like to come on and respond to today's reading or our earlier topic, (laughs) which was about um, the music and song and lyrics of Mr. Franklin and uh, the church world's reaction to it and your thoughts on it if you have heard the uh lyrics feel free to join me in some conversation this has been another episode of daring dialogues and i've been your host shante charles I hope that you will join us again next Wednesday as we continue the reading from What Happened to You, Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing by Dr. Bruce D. Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness, so continue to go out and be light. Take care and God bless.